the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider. As we end September and begin October, where has the summer gone? It will be a long month for many of us as we cover the Synod on Synodality that starts October 4th, the Feast of St. Francis. The Synod began in 2021 and will officially end in October of 2024. Before a brief look at the news, however, this past week, I want to tell you about my fascinating guest in the interview segment. Father Bill Petrie, who at the time of this interview was pastor of St. Damien Parish on the Hawaiian island of Molokai. We've been friends for a number of years and usually met on Kalopapa on Molokai to talk about Saints Damien and Marianne Cope and their work there with the victims of leprosy. We spoke for this interview in Honolulu on the island of Oahu to talk about his 25 years of work with St. Mother Teresa. 25 years. Tons of insight and remarkable stories about this holy woman whose feast we recently celebrated. Stay tuned for that after the news. And now the news highlights. Sunday, September 24th. After reciting the Angelus, Pope Francis marked World Migrant and Refugee Day, echoing his message on the fundamental importance of the right to choose whether to migrate or to stay in one's homeland. Pope Francis said the right to migrate, a fundamental human right, has for many become an obligation driven by dire circumstances. He stressed that there should exist an equally essential right not to migrate, affirming the right of individuals to remain in their own lands while enjoying a life of dignity and fulfillment. The Holy Father at the Angelus also renewed his invitation to the faithful to participate in the ecumenical prayer vigil entitled Together to take place Saturday, September 30th in St. Peter's Square, and this is in preparation for the Synodal Assembly that will begin on the 4th of October. Sunday afternoon, as a demonstration of his personal affection for the late Italian president, the Pope paid his respects to Giorgio Napolitano, lying in state in the Nasseria Room of the Senate of the Republic of Italy. Monday, September 25th, addressing a delegation of the Latin American Research and Training Commission for the Protection of Minors, Pope Francis highlighted the progress made by the Church in eradicating the scourge of child sexual abuse, and he called for continued action to safeguard vulnerable people. The abuses that have affected the Church are but a pale reflection of a sad reality that involves all of humanity and to which the necessary attention is not paid, he said. Eradicating child sex abuse must be a significant work for all of society so that the steps and achievements of the Church on this path can be an incentive for other institutions to promote the culture of care. Tuesday, September 26th. Pope Francis, in a telegram sent on his behalf by Cardinal Pietro Parolin, Secretary of State, said he is deeply saddened to learn of a tragic fire in southeastern Benin that killed at least 35 people, including one child. 
In his message, Francis said he joins the victims' families in mourning and prays for the repose of the deceased, entrusting them to God's mercy and for the recovery of the injured. Also Tuesday, Pope Francis called 95-year-old Sosama Antony the grandmother of Monsignor George Kovacad, the Vatican official who organizes his apostolic journeys. He had been concerned about Mrs. Antony's well-being, especially after her battle with COVID-19 the previous year. Also Tuesday, the third edition of the Building Bridges initiatives in which Pope Francis virtually dialogued with 12 Catholic University students across Asia took place September 26th. The synodal discussion centered on social networks and media literacy, bullying, teenage suicide, and religious freedom and testimony. Pope Francis told the young Asian people, you need the harmony that is found in the beauty of the differences that you know how to create so well. Wednesday, September 27th, at the weekly general audience, Pope Francis focused on his recently concluded apostolic journey to Marseille for the conclusion of the Mediterranean meetings. He told pilgrims, I can say that I found passion and enthusiasm in Marseille. He was there to close the Mediterranean meetings that gathered bishops and young people to reflect on migration. In language greetings to Polish pilgrims after the catechesis, Francis said, Remember your brothers and sisters of Ukraine, forced to leave their war-torn homeland, who seek help, refuge, and goodwill. He thus encouraged the Polish-speaking faithful to continue welcoming their Ukrainian neighbors, forced to flee due to war. Thursday, September 28th. Ahead of the upcoming Synod on Synodality, the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors has made an appeal for child protection to be seriously debated during Synod discussions. It did so in a statement in English and Italian titled, A Call to Action on the Occasion of the Consistory for the Creation of New Cardinals and the 16th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops. The commission is within the Dicastery for the Doctrine of Faith. Friday, September 29th. In a heartfelt telegram of condolences sent to Archbishop Benedictus Yunan Hano, Archbishop of Mosul of the Syriacs, Pope Francis expressed his deep sorrow at the devastating effects of a recent fire that engulfed a wedding reception in Karakosh, Iraq, killing over 100 people. In these challenging moments, the Catholic Church stands with the people of Karakosh, exemplifying the timeless values of love, empathy, and unity that transcend borders and beliefs, said Pope Francis. Also Friday, Pope Francis sent a letter to Catholics in Vietnam, commending the historic adoption of the agreement on the status of a resident pontifical representative. He emphasized the enduring importance of love, dialogue, and charity, calling on the faithful to be a positive force for good in their nation while fostering collaboration with government authorities. Saturday, September 30th, Pope Francis creates 21 new cardinals in the ninth consistory of his pontificate. The Pope's October prayer intention, revealed Friday, is for the Synod. Well, those are the news highlights, but stay here for Father Petrie's stories about his amazing 25 years with St. Mother Teresa.
This is Sister Lucia Trainer of the Franciscan Sisters of the Eucharist. Catholic Radio is an apostolate that is immediate, interactive, effective, and worldwide. It stimulates listeners to follow the teachings of the Church, brings Scripture closer to us, helps those who wrestle with questions of conscience, and allows us to celebrate the joy of our faith every day. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. From Rome to your home, EWTN's Vatican Bureau lets you watch all of the important events from Rome, even if you don't have a TV. Using the latest technology, we've made it possible to watch the latest news from the Holy See, all delivered directly to your home. Watch live on EWTN YouTube and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. EWTN is the Global Catholic Network. As a Catholic talk show host and speaker and author, I'm often asked, how should we pray? How do we pray? Really? It's up to you, and that's between you and the Lord. We have wonderful, wonderful formalized prayers in the Catholic faith, such as a rosary, the Lord's Prayer, novenas. But you can also just open up your heart and say, Lord, help, SOS. It's as simple as that. How you pray is really up to you. Ask the Lord how you should pray, and he'll answer you. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to Vatican Insider and my conversation with Father Bill Petrie, pastor of St. Damien Parish on the Hawaiian island of Molokai. We've been friends for a number of years, and we usually meet on Kalopapa, a peninsula of Molokai, to talk about St. Damien or St. Marianne Cope and their work there with victims of leprosy. However, this summer, we met in Honolulu to talk about his 25 years of work with Mother Teresa. Father Bill, welcome to Vatican Insider. Well, thank you, Joan. This is my second interview with you, and I'm delighted that the Holy Spirit brought us together in Hawaii one more time. Well, I certainly thank the Holy Spirit for that, for our friendship over the years. And actually, Father's the pastor at St. Damien Parish on the island of Molokai. And of course, that's where the peninsula of Kalopapa is. You all know those stories from St. Damien, St. Marianne Cope, and maybe a third saint someday, Joseph Dutton. Father is actually on his way to the mainland. He was stopping off here in Honolulu, so we are delighted to be together for this talk. There's so much to talk about, Father, too. It's just absolutely amazing. But um, the focus is going to be, obviously, uh, Mother, soon to be St. Teresa. Tell me a little bit about your vocation, because there's going to be this wonderful tapestry woven, your vocation, Father Damien, and how you got to India and Mother Teresa for 25 years. Yeah. Uh, Joan, I was 16 years old, a junior in high school at uh, Brophy Jesuit High School Preparatory College in Phoenix, Arizona. We had a day retreat, and in between talks, we'd go to our homeroom, and um, our homeroom teacher would give a spiritual reading, and it was Damien the Leper by John Farrell, that uh, book we started to read. The retreat ended, it didn't finish, I went to the library, couldn't find that book, but another book, The Heart of Father Damien by Vito Jordan. As I was reading that in the library, I got hit by the Holy Spirit. And I said to myself, I'm going to become a priest. I am going to the missions to work with leprosy patients, and God willing, it will be in India. Those three things came to my mind. 
and it took 16 years from that moment to the actual getting to India. Getting to India. India. The moral of the story is God stretches how he answers prayers. You know, that's about how long it took me to get to Rome. When after graduation from college, I wanted to go there, but you and I did not have the advantage of internet, do a job search or anything mm -hmm. like that. You know, I do want to point out one thing you said that is so important to me. The very first time I ever came here and even flew to Kalupapa, I noticed nobody ever spoke of the people with Hansen's disease, leprosy, as lepers. They spoke of them as patients or people who were ill with. With leprosy, but the word lepers was never used. I found that so meaningful. Uh, it, it could be even be undertaken in a pejorative way or as an outcast. So I think it's very important that you made that distinction. Yes, here in Hawaii, the official name is Hansen's disease, mm -hmm. but as far as worldwide leprosy community, the doctors and leprologists are involved. It can be Hansen's disease or leprosy, mm -hmm. but never leper. Right, exactly. Yeah. No, that that's such a wonderful thing. So now we've learned about the beginnings of your vocation, but tell us about the beginnings of your journey to India. How did that happen? When I uh, was going to be ordained, the interview with our provincial consul, what would you like to do? And I said, I would like to go to India. And they had heard the story, how I read the book and I wanted to do leprosy work. <clears throat> I said, we don't do that anymore. You know, and, and, and Kalapapa, it's the state and federal government is there and things like that. And so um, they said, anyway, wait five years. So I'd waited 11 years already, yeah, something I went on. <laughs> and it was the happiest five years being in parish ministry, baptizing, Aww. and the weddings, and the funerals, and the youth, and I, I just loved it. But as the five years was coming to an end, I thought, well, if no one's going to help me to get there, I better do something. And I had heard about Mother Teresa through a magazine article in 1965 from a magazine that used to be called Jubilee. I don't know if oh, you remember, remember that. <laughs> and somehow they did a story with her and the leprosy work. I remembered it. So I wrote her a letter saying I would like to come and volunteer for a couple of months. And I never got a response. I had to raise the money to go to India. My parish that I was at was very poor. They put on potluck dinners, Aww. car washes. They raised $1,000. I only needed 800 I took the other 200 and sent it to Mother Teresa with my second letter saying, <clears throat> I've got the money for the ticket and uh, I hope that I will be able to be of service in some way. No answer. No fax machine. Letters was like 30 days to Round get there and back. <laughs> so I had the day, the time, and flight. I arrived in Calcutta after telling them what it was, and no one was there to meet me. And just for a brief moment of time, I said, am I doing my own thing? Yeah. I stayed at the airport till the police came and said, the airport's closing. And I oh. said, where will I go? And they said, well, you can't stand, stay here. They gave me directions to a lodge in the center of town, 15 miles, 15 to 20 miles. And at that time, the Bangladesh War had just finished. Oh. There was a million refugees between the airport and the center of town. Wow. And as we wove through that mass humanity and uh, people under tents and plastic and everyone building their own fire to cook and soldiers with guns, 
suddenly saw a group of leprosy patients by themselves, bandits, so to speak, and I said, oh, there's work here. The following day, I just went to the phone book, looked up Missionaries of Charity, called, and I said, hello, my name is Father Petrie. Can I speak to Mother Teresa? Uh, I came here to volunteering for leprosy work. She said, this is Mother Teresa. Come right over. Oh, And my that's word. how it started. So she answered the phone in she addition to... She always answered the phone when she... Wow, that is so amazing. Tell us about your first night, and she said some pretty remarkable things to you, and I know this simply because I did some research reading, and we'll talk about that in a minute, the the reflections you have written on on Mother Teresa. And if anybody listening to us talk doesn't know it, Mother Teresa will become a saint on September 4th. So we are talking about this because that's just around the corner. Both of us will be involved in different ways in, in that big event. But tell us about your, your first night and then daily life. Oh, when you tell us about that, I know I'm talking to a saint. <laughs> <laughs> well, she sent me over to the bishop's house right away to get faculties. And, um, oh, right, because you, uh, for, for those who don't know, a priest visiting in another diocese who will want to perform, who will want to say Mass or perhaps no. perform a marriage, has to get the quote-unquote faculty from the resident bishop. Yeah. And I went to see the bishop. He was archbishop, later to become a cardinal, Cardinal Lawrence Bicacci. And um, his um, secretary, second-in-command, was later to be Archbishop Henry. Those two people, Henry D'Souza, they were to be very special friends and mentors for me during that time. And suddenly, I didn't realize it, but when I look back, Mother Teresa, Cardinal Bicacci, and Archbishop Henry... What a trio to be mentors. Oh, my heavens. And knowing them and how in some way they mentored Mother Teresa. Anyway, I'm being sent to the Missionary Charity Brothers, founded by Brother Andrew in 1962. They identify with the poor completely. So it was beyond my imagination <clears throat> when I went. I went with a white shirt white pants, <laughs> white shoes, would you believe? Because I worked in a hospital as an oh, orderly sure. one summer. So I thought that's what it was. Plus the heat of India. <clears throat> yes. And they said, um, you know, it might be easier. Don't unpack. There's no place to put your clothes. And we'll give you two shirts and two pants. And so to go to a rummage room, so to speak, and uh, pick out two shirts, two pants. Nothing color-coordinated at all. <laughs> Oh, sure. Uh, And so you'd wear one and wash one. You know, that's how it went. The brothers lived very simply, like the sisters. They um, sat on the floor for mass classes. They all had a plate, a cup, and a spoon. It was located on shelves, and I was shown my designated place. So this is your private plate and cup and spoon yeah, so for your, right. for and I you have to wash it and everything you else. Wash I it out every night, as well as getting a bucket, which you're to wash your clothes after you take your bath. So one bucket of water. There's about forty in the house, and just the water tank couldn't handle it. So you get one forty. We'd call it a sponge bath. The tie of course you would. And then to wash your clothes with the other. That's not even a navy bath. <laughs> That's right. The big surprise was getting a bedroll, burlap, and a little thin mattress, and they said you can sleep wherever you find space. So what a culture shock for my first night. Oh, yeah. But 
I was so happy, and this was so exciting, and I was so tired. What a great night's sleep. Sure. But she said, and I read this on one of your reflections, and correct me if it was yes. the first night uh, oh, yes. that you met or not. She said, as you were leaving, Let's to your residence. Let's do something beautiful for God. Well, that's something. I mean, how could that not make you want to get up the next morning and do something else beautiful <laughs> for God? That was you know? the mission. There was the mission statement there. Do something beautiful for God. Right. doesn't matter what it is. No. Father Bill, you have written these reflections. I read the latest, which was the fifth reflection. Tell us a little bit how that evolved, and then I want to talk about one or two of the episodes you talk about in those. I gave um, a faith formation conference talk here in the Diocese of Honolulu. One of my old parishioners was there, and they came up, and they said, this is so interesting. Why don't you put something in St. Damien Parish Bulletin? every week until you go. And I said, that's a good idea. So I start one-page reflection, more or less calling the humanness of Mother Teresa, still getting at the background spirituality. And there's going to be a couple of more reflections going into the dark part of her life and how you never knew it. She seemed so filled of joy and happiness and suffering so much in the sure. inside. That's how the reflection started, and I hope maybe next year to write a book. Sure, and we got to talk about that. You yeah. know, we gotta, we've got to make that happen because just the reflections, they're, they're short enough to absolutely read in, in one sitting, and they're such riveting stories. And I'm just going to look at one of my notes here. And in your very first one, of course, you talk about arriving in India, which you've just done, and that you learn from Mother Teresa that Damien, who was your inspiration for, for the priesthood, Damien was Mother Teresa's inspiration as well. That's fascinating. That cemented the relationship our first day. The smile on her face. There was no doubt I was meant to be there. She saw it as God's will, and eventually, when we were going to start a formation program to start our congregation there, she says, we have to do it right, and we went right to the prime minister at that time to get permission for foreign missionaries to come in to help with our formation program. She was so convinced. The prime minister said to uh, Mother Teresa, don't we have enough Indian priests and bishops and superiors? It was all Indian by this time since independence. And she says, but we don't have Father Damien's congregation, Ah, (laughs) which is the congregation of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary. Which, of course, is the first thing I should have said (laughs) after I I said your name. Oh, oh my gosh. In your reflections, you talk about her her bedside manner. You talk about uh, people who want to be volunteers. I was very impressed by that because she actually, for people who like write her, they don't answer because, or she doesn't, because... But she has said, if you would like to be a volunteer, do it where you live. Yes. Mother had no recollection of my letters or the check. Uh, Because of the chaos of the war and the refugees, I think a lot of mail was stolen. She realized that. But a lot of people, after Mother Teresa became popular, you know, they start writing. I don't think they could handle it. But you show up in front of her, then she knows it's the real thing. I got a spot for you, yeah. And so what the sisters say to this day, if you want to come and volunteer, you're most welcome. Just come. Just come. Go to the 7 o'clock Mass. After Mass, you go down to the parlor. You'll have 
tea and uh, bread, and then a sister will assign you. And so that's what it is. But Mother's philosophy was Calcutta is everywhere if you have the eyes to see. Oh, yes, that was beautiful yes. when you wrote that. And, you know, she it's kind of like what Pope Francis, he's giving examples in Rome of working for and with the homeless and refugees and making sure the homeless get doctors and showers yes. and things. And he's doing that in Rome, but he is asking others to do it at home. Yes. So in a parish in the U.S., in a parish in France or wherever. Yes. And volunteers still come. At any given time, there could be 50 to 80 People have to pay for their own ticket, their own lodging, their own food. And people, especially like Korea, even China now, Philippines, Japan, maybe one of the biggest, Buddhist background, wow. they come and they go to Mass in the morning. And in the evening for the Sisters Holy Hour, they attend. Whatever strength the sisters get, they want to partake in that. And they're just as devotional at Mass as the sisters. Folded hands, squatting on the floor, uh. kneeling. It sort of rejuvenates them to have the strength to do what the sisters are doing. Exactly. Father Bill, in another uh, one of your recollections, you, you talk about her, her bedside manner, which was so uh, incredible. And you talk about her being God's special witness to love, lo lo very much like Damien was. And you talk about her, quote, sacred presence. Yes. The sacred presence goes back to when we were on a, a mobile clinic and we didn't have any medicines one time, and so we didn't go. And the following week, when we went and patients said, where were you last week? Mother said, we didn't have the medicines. They said, it didn't make any difference. You should have come anyway. Oh. There was a starting point for my missiology. It's not the food, the medicine, right. the money, whatever. It is who you are and who you're becoming. Mother Teresa was christ filled. Yes. And she radiated that. And so in her presence, you were uplifted or affirmed sure. or, as I said in one of them, you felt good. <laughs> oh, sure. And and I know in, in the House for Dying, one of her kind of precepts, it was very important that you smile. If you don't yes. feel like you can smile in front of a patient, in front of the dying, yes. uh, you know what, then don't go. Yes, don't go. The, the poor have enough problems without carrying your problems, sure. she would say. And no one epitomized that more than Mother Teresa, who was suffering inside and always had the great smile, generous, were no indication whatsoever of a spiritual struggle. And that was her cross. Certainly, and which n nobody knew. Well, that's all the time we have this week to listen to Father Petrie's amazing stories about his 25 years with Mother Teresa. But tune in next week for Part 2. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.